0: Good morning, good morning everyone, good morning and welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church, welcome one and all. Uh, If this is your first time back in the sanctuary for a long time, then welcome back, and as I said last week, welcome home, back to where we love having worship here in our sanctuary. If you're visiting with us, it's it's been a long story, but we had a big flood, so we haven't been in here in several months, but we're back, and so welcome one and all. Delighted that you're here this morning, delighted that you're here if you are a visitor. So glad you're visiting with us this morning. Welcome to you, and welcome to you if you're visiting with us through our live stream. Welcome, one and all, to you who are watching us at home. We're certainly grateful for everybody's presence, whether you're here in our pews or at home in your, uh, the pews in your own living room. We're delighted for everybody to be here. If you are watching at home, then you can download our bulletin from the church website, And you can participate in everything as we are doing here in our sanctuary. Also, please sign the friendship pads. There are red pads on the inside aisle of each pew. If you would pass those, sign your name and mark your attendance with us. And if you are a visitor and you'd like to know more about GPC and who we are as a family of faith, then you can uh, put your contact information down and we would be so happy to be in touch with you and to tell you more about our family of faith. We are growing more and more accustomed to how we are uh, getting back to worship and honestly every day, it seems like every Sunday, there's something I have to to remember to do that's sort of pre-COVID, uh, like uh, we we're passing the plates, for example, for our offerings. And so we're doing that. And for the first time in a long time, the hymns are not printed in your bulletin. The hymns are in the hymn books. And so we're getting back to our routines and it'll take some continual adjustment, but we're doing that. And so thank you everybody for your patience and your participation in all that we are doing. We're going to continue with our schedule through the summer. We'll be like this for about another month or so, where we will be in here for one service at 930. And again, a nice addition today is that our uh, adult Sunday school classes are back on site and they're here and you can see uh, Mike, you can come talk to me if you're interested in an adult Sunday school class. Uh, Those will also be back in our adult education wing Starting today, for the first time in I can't even count how long. So we're delighted for our Sunday school classes to get back and to be rolling again. And uh, please do find your place, your place of interest, and in your Sunday school group uh, for you and your life of faith. There is a rose on the baptismal font this morning, and that is in celebration of the birth of James Malden Russell, who is the son of Drew and Julie Russell and the grandson of Melinda and Phil Russell. And I know I saw them come in, but I don't know where they... Oh, they're hiding, hiding behind the boys there. Congratulations. We are so happy for you and for Drew and Julie. So grateful for you all as grandparents and that uh, wonderful... Uh, time in your life, so congratulations to them. Please take this rose with you and deliver it and give Drew and Julie our love, and we're grateful to God. Say a prayer of gratitude uh, this morning for little James Malden and for his parents and for his grandparents. It's another day of celebration as well, another reason to celebrate today, because it is the birthday of Dr. Gerald Ticci. Yes, it is. And I seem to remember that when it was a minister's birthday, Gerald stood up and led the congregation in singing happy birthday. I can't remember exactly who that was. So, Gerald, would you please come down front? (laughs) Gerald, please come down front and sing a solo of happy birthday. (laughs) Why don't we all sing happy birthday to Gerald? Ah, Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Jeroboam, happy birthday to you. It's not, it's not every day. Not every day that somebody celebrates their 90th birthday. And so we are so grateful for you and for your ministry here, but have a great day, and we are grateful to God for you. Well. And I I should
1: have never signed up for Facebook, even though I never use it, but that's thank you. You all are very kind. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you. Now have a seat. Friends, of one or two more notices uh, just to remind you of our evening worship service, and that is uh, going to the location where it was originally designed for, and that's in Warren Hall. So we'll have our evening worship this uh, evening at 6 p.m. It will be in Warren Hall, and we invite you to come and to participate in that and to be part of that service and come for that time of worship as well this evening. And then finally, friends, an announcement on a sad note, and that is to inform you of the death of Diane Stearns. Diane died suddenly on uh, Friday evening, and uh, we're so grateful for her. We're grateful for her husband, Fred, and uh, we'll know more about a service time, and there'll be some more details announced very soon, but it is most likely that there'll be a service in here on Wednesday morning, but please stay tuned. We'll get that information out to everybody as soon as possible, but please be in prayer, for uh, Diane and Fred's two sons, and be uh, thinking of them and their grandchildren in your hearts this day. Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God.
2: God is holy and just, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. God provides in ways that are strong and sure, and he is worthy of our praise. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. God's holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. We ponder your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Tell the next generation that this is our God, who is God forever and ever. The Lord will be our guide forever. Jesus came into the world to bring grace to sinners. Out of gratitude for God's mercy, let us confess our sin together. Let us pray. Holy God, we confess that our imaginations are too small and too contaminated by sin. We cannot imagine a better world, so we do not try. Among some people, we do not try to love our neighbors. On some occasions, we do not try to tell the truth. In some circumstances, we do not try to contain our greed. We confess our sin and we pray for you to revive our imaginations by grace. Give us a vision of a life where we overflow in love, speak the truth, and give generously just as Christ did every day. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ's death on the cross reconciles us to God. His resurrection brings us new life in God's presence. I declare to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and also with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with the sign of God's peace.
3: Well, good morning, boys and girls. How is everybody today? Good. It's good to see you. Well, if you look up here today, you can see that I have um, a couple little tools here, and I have a little bucket of water. Probably not what everybody in the sanctuary wants to see is more water, but we're going to do it. I think we can do it. (laughs) So we're going to see, I have two tools, and we're going to see what sinks and what floats. So what is this one? It's like a Lincoln log. Yes, raise your hand if you think it's gonna sink, or raise your hand if you think you're gonna float. Raise raise your hand if you think it's gonna sink. Okay, raise your hand if you think it's gonna float. All right, okay. um, Jean, you wanna come up and put it in the water for us? What does it do? It floats. Okay, and what about this little metal tool? Raise your hand if you think it's gonna sink. Raise your hand if you think it's gonna float. OK, Risto, come on up and put it in the water for us. Let's see what happens. You know it's going to sink? Oh, you're right, it did sink. So our story that we're talking about today has to do with water, and it has to do with Jesus and His disciples. and He sent his disciples out on a boat, and they're on the lake, and a big storm came up, and there was lots of wind and lots of waves and they were scared. They were afraid that they were going to fall in the water and drown. Here's a picture. And all of a sudden, they saw their leader, Jesus, walking on the water out to help them. And one of the disciples, Peter, decided to climb out of the boat because he loved Jesus, and he, he wanted to be with him, and he wanted to feel safe. And when he stepped out from the water, he started to walk toward Jesus. But all of a sudden, he got really distracted with the wind and the waves, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that start to make you worried? And all of a sudden, he started to sink. But Jesus reached out his hand, and he saved Peter. And he wondered why Peter doubted him, that he, as long as he kept, Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk forward and he can live with confidence, kind of like us. When we get scared, who should we keep our eyes on? Jesus. Thank you, Kate. That's exactly right. So that's what I want us to um, learn today when you come to Sunday school after church. We're going to talk about this story and do some fun activities, okay? All right, will you bow your head and will you say a prayer after me? Can everybody bow their head? All right, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, when the storms of life come, help us to keep our eyes on you and trust in you. Amen. Thank you.
0: Let us pray. God of infinite wisdom and unlimited love, bring us a portion of both. Now we pray in what we read and hear this morning. We turn to your holy word for wisdom and for love. We need an abundance each day. And so we pray that you'd bring them to us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first reading comes from the prophet Ezekiel. And if you read through the prophets, and especially through Ezekiel, you'll see just vivid images and all kinds of symbolism. And Ezekiel in particular has all these dreams and visions come to him, and he is transported by the Spirit from one place to another. Um, Just really an incredible imagination as he delivers God's Word to the people. And so we read a portion of his call story from Ezekiel 2. Ezekiel writes this in Ezekiel 2.1, God said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard, I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. Their descendants are impudent and stubborn. I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whenever they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, whether they hear or refuse, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. And then in the New Testament, we turn to uh, really an amazing passage in the book of Ephesians. We're starting a new sermon series today where we'll focus on the book of Ephesians, for the next uh, several weeks, for the remainder of the summer. And today we look at Ephesians 3. It is a doxology. It's almost a a benediction that Paul writes here in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power of through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And as you are being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And now to Him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. One of the reasons I love having children in church is that they just remind us of some of the magic of childhood. And I want to ask you if you had a vivid imagination when you were a child. Well, of course you did. Of course you did. All children do. That's part of childhood is having this great imagination. And neuroscientists will tell us about the importance for children of the imagination in the development of their brain. They use their imaginations often. We all did when we were children. And because it helps us understand about ourselves... It helps us distinguish between reality and fantasy, between what we experience and what we imagine. That word fantasy itself comes from the Greek word fantasia, and we apply all of these imagination related words in our vocabulary every day like fantastic and fantasize and fancy. We use these words all the time and they're related to our imaginations. That classic Disney animated film, Fantasia, was released in 1940. Now think about all that was going on in the world in 1940, and there's no wonder that people were looking for some way to escape all the darkening reality around them. They could use their imaginations through the Walt Disney Company to escape. And then think about the imagination of Walt Disney himself. Think about the Disney company. They have created whole kingdoms of magic because children love exercising their imaginations. And so do adults. Now, I know this. If you've ever taken your children or grandchildren to Disney World or the Magic Kingdom, you know how much you enjoyed it as much as they did. And you said you were going just to take them, but it was really for you also. We had this great elaborate fort in our backyard when I was growing up. It was actually two stories. There was a room down below and then a lofted area, a room up above, two stories tall. And as children, we played in that fort every single day after school. One day it might be a ship on the high seas and all of us kids in the neighborhood, we were all pirates. The next day, it was a tank bulldozing through enemy territory. The next day, it was a medieval castle under siege from all the barking dogs below us. Yes, we would pull our dogs into this imaginary world, reality and fantasy mixed. The real threats, of course, were the adults who had to come tell us to come inside for dinner. And there are always those occasions when reality would come crashing in on our fantasies. I remember the day when one of my cousin's, imagined that she was Supergirl and that she could fly, and she took a flying leap off the second level of that fort, and then she had a much better understanding of the power of gravity over the power of fantasy. If you were here on Wednesday, you noticed that there were several Supergirls flying around our Warren Hall during the Wacky Wednesday Special Needs VBS. I see a couple of them right over here. They had a big S emblazoned on their shirts. And one of our participants also, a young woman, flew into Warren Hall with a Supergirl outfit on, cape and all. It was Superheroes Day. And what I noticed about her, because you just couldn't help but notice it, was that she kept using one word every time she spoke, the word love. She kept telling people, I love you. She wouldn't start her turn in the recreation that I was leading without offering out her hand for me to grasp, and she would look me in the eyes and say, I love you every time, six or seven times. I love you. I love you. I love you. Now, as I thought about it later, it was a fascinating moment in the middle of this make-believe Day, this offer of genuine love. How do you respond in a moment like that? I'll be honest with you, it's a little awkward for a guy like me to have someone tell you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now, this is coming from the guy who forgot the day before, last Tuesday, was his 25th anniversary. It was Tuesday, July the 6th, 1996, our 25th anniversary. But to my great relief, and she's probably watching right now, Susan also forgot as well. She was out of town picking up a child from camp. We talked at about 7.30 in that morning. After we hung up, I realized that neither one of us lovebirds remembered to say happy anniversary to each other. Now, to her credit, she did leave a card for me, but that's another story altogether. So there we are on that day, and then the next day, here is this participant at VBS imagining that she is supergirl, but offering real, selfless love out of just happiness and joy. I think sheepishly after she said, I love you, the once or twice, I said, oh, thank you, or that's nice, but then this relentless offer of love kept coming back, and finally I just gave in and said, well, I love you too. I love you too. It's kind of awkward, and yet it's refreshingly innocent to receive such genuine love. There is genuine love in this passage from Ephesians. In fact, it's genuine love throughout the whole book, throughout the whole letter. Paul is overjoyed. It's one of the major themes in Ephesians. Paul is overjoyed at the love that the Ephesians have for one another. He sees genuine love among these Christians, and love is this relentless theme in this whole book. God's love for them, and then their responsive love for God, and yet also their love for one another. And so I want to dive into this passage and I want to see here first that Paul uses several different words for knowing something, for understanding something, for believing in something. He used several different words to describe how our minds try to grasp on to the truth. He uses several different words. One word is faith, it's in this passage. He uses faith, which of course, relates to convictions, it relates to trust. In verse 18, the word that's translated in our English is the word comprehend, and it literally means to lay a hold of or to seize, to take. And the idea behind this is sort of conquering a concept in order to make its truth real in your mind. It's like finally seeing a correct formula for solving a math problem. And once you then understand that you've conquered that formula, you know it, then you see its truth when you you face it again. There's another word in verse 19. It's the word gnosis, and it's the general word for knowledge. It's about our intellect. It's about what we know, how much information we know about the world around us. And then there was this final word, And it just intrigued me all week long as I thought about it. It's found in this passage. It's in this beautiful benediction in verse 20, and it's the word, imagine. Imagine. This verse here is ascribing glory to a God who can do abundantly more than we could ever imagine. The more I looked at this word this week, the more I've realized that I've actually never really thought too much about the imagination when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our relationship with God. And I think what Paul is trying to communicate here through this word is something that is so important for each one of us in our faith. I want to dwell for a minute or two on the connection between our faith and our imaginations. And it seems to me that to have a faithful imagination or to have an imagination grounded in faith, it is essential. For two things that are the theme of this letter. A faithful imagination is essential for love and for hope. For both of these things. Maybe to put it another way, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to have love or to have hope without a faithful imagination. Mary Warnock taught at Cambridge in the late 20th century and she wrote several important works about imagination and about faith and the connection between them. In one essay, she connects um, the the great English poets, such as Coleridge and Wordsworth. She looks at their work, and she connects their imagination to their faith. And then she defines imagination as this. She says, it's the ability to think of what is not, to bring into existence the non-existent to make present, the non-present to make actual the merely possible. In other words, to be imaginative is to be creative. You think about this. I mean, think about how true this is. If you go back throughout history and you look at all the great works of Christian art, go back and look at all the great works of Christian literature, and you can see the creativity and the imagination of the artist at work. Look at some of the most important Christian works of writing ever. Where do they start? Always with the author's vivid imagination. Midway along the journey of life, wrote Dante in the early 14th century. I found myself in a forest dark because the straightforward path had been wandered away. Dante's writing about his own midlife crisis. If you think midlife crises are unique to us in the 20th and 21st century, he wrote an epic poem about his in 1308 about wandering off the straightforward path in the midway part of life. John Bunyan begins his Pilgrim's Progress by writing this. He says, As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted upon a certain place where there was a den, and I laid me down in that place to sleep, and I dreamed. A really good sermon, a really good sermon will require you to use your imagination." if for no other reason than just to pretend that it's good. But more likely than that, more likely than that, it will require you to use your imagination like some of the best sermons in American history have. I can remember like it was yesterday sitting in my church history professor's class at Columbia Seminary and studying the Great Awakening and Jonathan Edwards' most well-known sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it is full of all of these images, and it's full of frightening um, images of destruction and chaos. And there's just ruin and hell and wrath all throughout this sermon. But the main image that most people lose sight of, the main image is actually an image of grace. Despite all this violent chaos all around us and underneath us, God holds us in His hands. And He shields us out of grace. This is the very definition of grace, that if it weren't for God's hands upholding us, then we would fall into ruin and into destruction and pain, and yet the divine hands hold us and will not let us go. That's one of the great sermons. I am convinced that the greatest sermon ever delivered on American soil to the whole collective American soul was delivered at the Mason Temple in Memphis on a stormy April the 3rd evening in 1968. If you look at the construction of that sermon and then its content and then its context, it's the best sermon ever. There were literal storms in the air that night, and then there were other storms all around, and some of you were here and you remember that time. There was great lightning and thunder and wind. And then the preacher of that sermon would die at 6.03 p.m. the next night on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. In his final sermon known as the Mountaintop Sermon, Dr. King used this incredible prophetic imagination to take his spellbound congregation on a flight. Literally on a flight in their imaginations, on this transcendent flight throughout world history and all of its movements and all of its makers. They pass over ancient Egypt and then Greece and Rome. They pass over early American history and all of its figures and all of its makers, and they land at that moment and that movement in 1968. At the end of that sermon, Dr. King imagines himself to be sort of like a modern-day Moses, and he ascends the mountaintop full of hope and full of anticipation as he looks out over the promised land. And then you remember those ringing, concluding words. He says, I may not get there with you, He said with tragic foresight, but I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I go back and I watch that sermon every April the 3rd to remind me of the power of an imagination that's grounded in faith. Do you have a vivid imagination? I think as Christians, we are called to have a vivid imagination. If you talk about a faithful imagination, all conversations start and then end with Jesus himself. He was the master teacher. You know, he uses his imagination every single time he teaches. Every single time. You can't hear the parables and you can't understand them without employing your imagination. The kingdom of heaven is like... And then imagine a tiny mustard seed... Imagine a pearl of great value you find in a field, and you'll give away anything else in order to have that pearl. Imagine a woman sweeping a house in order to find a great coin that she has lost. You give up everything and do anything in order to find it. What is God's love like when it comes to you and me? What is it like? Well, imagine a shepherd who risks everything to find that wandering sheep, or imagine that woman losing a valuable coin and she won't rest until she finds it. Imagine, said Jesus, that there was an ungrateful, self-absorbed, disrespectful know-it-all who demanded his inheritance and turned his back on all things good and hiked off to conquer the world, except that he failed miserably. And maybe that's not so much a fantasy for you and me, but it's all of our reality. Now imagine, said Jesus, a loving Father, scanning the horizon, hoping that that son would come to his senses. And when he does, imagine that father running to embrace him, to forgive him, and then throwing a celebration because someone who was lost is now found. Can you grasp? Can you grasp this theme of Ephesians that is about this relentless offer of love from God to you and me? This great theme of Ephesians, can you grasp and know and understand and comprehend what it means to truly love another person. To truly love. Not eros. not er Everybody loves eros. Not philia love, but canotic love. Self-emptying, self-giving love. It's an idea that we have to conquer because it does not come naturally to us. Eros comes naturally. Philia comes naturally to people that you like. But self-emptying, self-denying love. Imagine, said Jesus. Imagine that there was a man traveling on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho when he was robbed and beaten and left for dead. And then imagine the good people, like the ministers and others who are churchgoers, imagine that they go by on the other side. And then imagine this man's natural opponent, someone different from him. Imagine this person's opponent, if not enemy finding him and having mercy on him and caring and healing and going out of his way to have this man restored. That's the kind of love that was going on in the community in Ephesus among those first Christians. That's the kind of relentless love that had been unleashed among them by the power of the Holy Spirit. That powerful and creative love was being experienced in the city of Ephesus in the first century. Like so many other New Testament churches, the Jewish-Gentile question always threatened to undo them. People who were natural opponents to one another. How can these two opponent groups, if not enemies, how can they be in the same community? Will their common faith and love for Christ bring them together? Or will they be pulled apart by the mindsets and the attitudes that distinguish them? To answer that question... Paul prays with his imagination. He prays. That's what these verses are. He uses the word, I pray, in here at least twice. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Now, you know it's a serious prayer when somebody gets down on their knees. I pray, he says, I pray, he says again, that you may know the immeasurable love of Christ. When a biblical writer uses words like height and depth, and breadth and length, what they really mean is that there is no breadth, there is no length, there's no height higher than God's love, there's no depth deeper than God's love, there's nothing wider, nothing stronger, nothing better than God's relentless love. It surpasses, he says, intellectual knowledge. It surpasses intellectual knowledge. It's a matter of the heart. Love always trumps the intellect. It always does. And this concluding doxology is amazing. It declares that God is at work in a church that accepts his love. That God is at work in a church among us together more than we could ever ask or imagine. Imagine. God is at work at us more than we could imagine in our faith as we are faithful more and more than we can imagine more and more. We imagine new ways to love and serve our community. We imagine new ways to go outside of these walls and to engage in people in our community. We imagine how we can spread this love more and more, even within our own families, even within our own neighborhoods, our own communities. We imagine more and more when we are faithful. We can imagine a peaceful world void of violence. We can imagine a satisfied world with no hunger. We can imagine a healed world world with no cancers or illnesses. We can imagine an unbiased world. We can imagine a just world. We can imagine a righteous world. We can imagine a better and better world when we love and when we use those imaginations grounded in faith and love. Paul finishes by saying that there is great glory in the community of faith. There's great glory in the church. When we exhibit this imagination grounded in faith, God is able to do more. God is able to do more, abundantly more than we can even think, that we can even imagine. Do you think, can you imagine, that God is ready to do more in your life than you even know is possible? And maybe you're in that phase of life. Maybe it's midlife. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a sin crisis. Maybe you don't even know that God is holding you in in His hands right now, but He is. Maybe you can't understand that. Can you even just imagine a little bit about what it's like to be loved by God? And can you imagine what God is ready to do in this church when we have our imaginations grounded in faith? Can you imagine what God has in store for us when we use our imaginations and come together in faith and in hope, we come together in love, when we don't let all of those external biases all around us and even in us, when we don't let those pull us apart, but we unite ourselves around our common love for God and for Christ. Can you imagine? Amen.
4: As we have been fortified and nourished by the love of this good God, we have an opportunity this morning to reaffirm and recommit ourselves to the work of God. So I invite you to join me and stand as you are able as we affirm what we believe by reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus' eyes, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to Believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.
5: My sisters and brothers, we have been so blessed already this morning to be in this worship space to hear God's word read and proclaimed to us and to affirm our faith together. And so we come to this place in our service of worship and glory to almighty God where we are blessed yet again to come before God in prayer, our intercessory prayers for one another, for our community and for the world. And so as we turn to God in prayer, I will invite you to respond. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, you may respond, here, our prayers. And I will leave a space of silence so that no matter if you're here in the sanctuary or you're at home, that you can name out loud those that are near and dear to you and to our community of faith. And so let us now turn to God in prayer. Holy God, you are with us when we sit down and when we rise up, you are with us when we rest. And when we are in flurries of activity, and you are with us now as we bow before you offering our prayers of thanksgiving for the opportunity to gather here in this space to worship and glorify your holy name. Hear us now as we bring you our prayers for one another, our community, and the world, all lying in wait for your tender mercies. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers god of healing and hope as the world is opening people are traveling and our faces are once again being seen from behind our mask it would be so easy to forget where we've been what we've learned and who we've lost help us holy god not to be so desperate to move forward that we fail to appreciate the present moment the communion of friends gathering the sounds of children summering, the open road of vacation, all because of the wonders of modern science and technology and how they have afforded us vaccines to protect us and ways of communicating with each other that we could have never imagined before. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us, Holy God, not to be so desperate to move on, that we neglect to pray for those still suffering. The businesses forced to close, employees laid off, families grieving loved ones lost, COVID patients still suffering from long lasting consequences of the virus and countries still without access to the vaccines. Help us Holy God to embrace the lessons we've learned the grace we've received, and the hope you offer to us every day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. This morning, we pray for those without safety and shelter, for those being born today and those who will die today, for those suffering body, mind, and soul. We pray for medical professionals and caregivers. For those in the pathways of drought and famine and floods and thunderstorms and tornadoes here and around the world and the country of Haiti suffering so after the assassination of their president and the brutal attack on their first lady. Hear the cries of these we pray and bless each one according to their needs. Lord in your mercy hear our prayer. Holy God, we pray for all leaders here, there, and everywhere who have responsibilities to protect and care for others in national, state, and local governments, in churches, in businesses, and in schools. Awaken each one to your calling on their lives as leaders so that they may bow before you daily, seeking first your wisdom before they speak and act May each one care for all humankind with the very same compassion of Christ our Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful God, hear us now as we name before you those that are near and dear to us in our community of faith. Lord, of mercy and healing, we ask your blessings to be upon those that we have named and those that remain in the silence of our hearts, for we know that they are known to you. We pray, Almighty God, that you will bless each one with just what they need for this day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy God, awed by your kindness and compassion and mercy, We seek to respond in obedient faithfulness to you. Strengthen our resolve to follow wherever Christ leads us and to obey his commandment to love. And always, Lord God, remind us daily of your constant presence in our lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And hear us now, holy and loving God, as we pray together the very prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation.
1: But, but deliver us, us from, from evil,
5: for thine is the kingdom and the power and the, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Friends, all that we have and all that we are are gifts to us from Almighty God, and so now we are able to return to God the gifts that we have so graciously received through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. If you're worshiping with us online, I invite you to go to the giving tab, and there are multiple ways that you can give to the work of God's church called into being by Christ himself. And if you're worshiping with us in person, the offering trays are going to come towards you now. Let us give with great joy and generosity. Thank you.
4: Before we pray, just want to let you know there's a slight typo with the number of the last hymn. Last hymn is number 366. 366. Same title, different number. We like to mix it up here at GPC. So, would you join me in prayer? God, as we look over our story, we cannot help but see that you are intimately woven in it. And so as we have been fed by you, we respond with these tithes and offerings out of a sense of obedience and also deep and abiding gratitude. God, we give to you these gifts from the depths of our soul. We ask that you would take and use them, magnify them for your glory alone, that all who see us would see you, and that your kingdom that is on its way and is also already here would be blessed and strengthened according to your will. We give to you all of these things in your name. Amen.
0: Dear friends, go out into this world now, having been nourished, having been fed, having been refreshed by Almighty God. Go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself, and go out to love and serve God as well. Go out into this world full of love, because love is this relentless power at work within us. As Paul writes there in Ephesians, And now to this God who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. To this God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen.